Welcome to Way Church, and uh, we're so excited that you're here. Uh, we're we're we were really nervous about uh, what today would look like with uh, with just the weather, but I think you guys are like me. I was so ready to get out of the house this morning. Uh, the first day of snow, I was like Buddy the Elf. But the fifth day of snow, I was the Grinch, and uh, I am over it, and really thankful to be in the house of God with God's people. Uh, this is just just breathing some warmth into my soul right now. Uh, just really, really pumped. If you have your Bibles, we are still in the book of James, and if you're new to Way Church, or maybe you just haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we're in the middle of a series straight through the book of James where we're going verse by verse through every single verse in James. This is going to take us all the way to Easter. And so maybe you've never been uh, a part of a church that takes that long to go through a series before. Uh, well, welcome. We're excited that you're here. Uh, we're doing this not because we're trying to get through the Bible. We're doing this because we want the Bible to get through to us. And so we want to go verse by verse. We want to look at all that James has to say to the early church. And we believe that James has something to say to the 2024 church right here in Nashville, Tennessee. And so week one, just to summarize, if you missed week one, we really focused on this word perseverance. And we looked at what it looks like to be a finisher. We said that the world claps for starters, but heaven claps for finishers. And in order to finish, you need perseverance. Last week, we looked at the difference between test and temptations. And we talked about how God does not tempt us, but he will often test us. And the way to differentiate between a temptation and a test is to see what's on the other side of the thing that's in front of you. And so on the other side of a temptation is sin. But on the other side of a test is blessing. God will not bring something into your life that will lead to sin, but he will often test you with things that if you obey God will lead to blessings. Today, I'm so pumped because uh, our, our series is called From Talk to Walk. Uh, I said last week, James doesn't want us to talk about it. He wants us to walk it out. He doesn't want us to buy the Peloton. He wants us to use the Peloton. He doesn't want us to have a Planet Fitness membership. He wants us to be on that elliptical, okay? Uh, this week, we're really going to see this series uh, highlighted, th this theme highlighted. Um, I, I thought about it this way earlier in the week. Uh, I think the kingdom of God is a lot like Home Depot, where doers get more done. <laughs> this sermon's not sponsored by Home Depot, but Home Depot, uh, if you want to send me some salt for the next snow, I would appreciate it greatly. Uh, where doers get more done. We're going to talk about not just being hearers of the word today, but being doers of God's word and how that actually leads to transformation in our life. So we're going to pick up James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, and uh, we're going to break it down verse by verse my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everybody say, take note of this. Anytime your teacher in school said, take note of this, you knew it was going to be on the test. So this is important. Uh, everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that's planted in you, which can save you. Uh, I want to start with slow to speak. 
Two weeks ago, we looked at what it looks like to have godly wisdom a little bit. We talked about wisdom and uh, had you raise your hand if you wanted to have more wisdom in 2024. And almost everybody raised our hand uh, because we could all use a little bit more wisdom. One of the ways that you can gain 27 wisdom points right away is simply by being slow to speak, just, just holding your tongue. Uh, a couple years ago, I was on staff at a church in Cleveland, Tennessee. We had a, a big staff of about 45, 50 people. And one day, we were in a staff meeting, and it was a really important staff meeting. There was a bunch of stuff going on at the church, really good stuff, but uh, just, just a, a lot of pressure on this, this kind of new season of momentum in our church's life. And we were in a staff meeting, and it was a really intense staff meeting, one of those ones where someone's at a whiteboard writing stuff just as fast as they can, and everybody's throwing out ideas and, and talking. And uh, I wasn't really saying a lot because I was trying to hold my tongue. I was trying to make sure that if I said anything, it would be something wise. Uh, but I also wasn't really saying anything because the guy who was writing on the whiteboard was drawing all these different diagrams. And as he was drawing, uh, he kind of accidentally drew a picture to me that looked like a dog on a skateboard. And so I looked at the dog on the skateboard and I started thinking about Air Bud. You remember that series of movies? One of the greatest series of movies of all time, if we're just being honest, won multiple Golden Globes. Uh, it didn't. But uh, I started thinking about Air Bud, and then I started thinking about how my dog can't ride a skateboard, and then I started thinking about how cool it would be if my dog could ride a skateboard and how that would probably get me to go viral on TikTok. This is 2020. Uh, and I was just thinking about all this. Uh, welcome to the playground of my mind, by the way. And I'm thinking about all this, and I just wasn't saying much because I was distracted by what I was seeing on the board. And I leave the staff meeting, and I kid you not, my lead pastor, this man that I look up to so much, respect so much, comes straight up to me after the meeting, and he goes, Noah, I just want to thank you for the way that you handle yourself in those meetings. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, you just bring such a maturity and, and a wisdom for your age. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, for air butt. Because I literally said nothing the whole meeting. It reminds me of this scripture in Proverbs 17, 28, which must, have, must just be my life verse. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. This is what James is not saying. James is not saying to not talk. In fact, I think we need more followers of Jesus who are regularly in God's word, using our voice, our platforms, our influence to speak the truth in a world of lies. We need more of that, not less of that. James is not saying don't talk. James is saying be slow to talk. He's saying weigh your words before you throw them at people. He's saying weigh your social media posts before you respond to something that happens in culture. He's saying, when everyone else is being the first to get their opinion out there, let's make sure we have God's opinion right, and then let's open up our mouths and share it. He's saying, when everyone else is being the first to talk, let's race to be the first to listen. What I've realized is that because there are so many people who are eager to talk, very few people have experience with people listening to them. And so listening can feel a whole lot like loving to people who never have people listening to them. If you want to get good at loving people, you can't do it without getting good at listening to people. We have to be slow to speak. Then, it said, then James says this, be slow to anger. Again, it doesn't say never get angry. There are actually biblical reasons to be angry. 
Just a few that came to my mind this week are, are uh, injustice. When we see injustices in the world, we should, according to the Bible, be angry about that. Another one, when kids are led astray, we should be angry about that. We see biblical evidence for this in the Bible. Even when you look at the life of Jesus, you see Jesus getting angry. However, we should be slow to anger because most of the time when we get angry, it's not a biblical reason. Let's just be honest, okay? If you're angry on 65 South, chances are it's not a biblical righteous anger. It's a get in the right lane kind of an anger, okay? We have to be slow to anger because typically... In our flesh, it is not a biblical kind of anger. How do you tell if your anger is biblical? Um, first of all, if there's, if there's a uh, biblical example of that anger, then you, you could say this is, uh, this is a biblical anger. But uh, two things that I use in my life just to see, like, is this biblical or not, is number one, am I getting angry quickly? If you're getting angry quickly, chances are it's not righteous anger. If you're losing your temper, chances are it's not righteous anger. Uh, we never see God or Jesus lose their temper. We never see that. God gets angry. Jesus got angry, but they never lose their temple, uh, temper. In the most famous time in the Bible where Jesus gets angry, when he walks into the temple and he flips the tables. You remember that story? Jesus didn't lose his temper that day. He didn't get anger, angered quickly. In fact, what happens is he walks into the temple, he sees what's happening there, and makes him very angry that people are charging crazy prices to make sacrifice to the Lord. He sees that, that they're, they're kind of cornering the market on doves and goats and making it unaffordable for the average person to come in and worship God. And so he begins to flip the tables. But before he flips the tables, the Bible says he goes to the corner and he makes a whip. Jesus was in the corner glaring at them, making a whip, thinking about what he was about to do. It wasn't just walking in, losing his temper, flipping, flipping tables. He went off into the corner. It took him, he was, he was being deliberately angry. It wasn't a quick anger. The second thing is an unrighteous anger leads you to do things that you regret. A righteous anger, you look back and you thank God that he gave you the anger because it helped you do something you probably wouldn't have done otherwise. A righteous anger, you go, man, thank you God for giving me that anger. It gave me the courage to speak up when I probably wouldn't have. It gave me the, the courage to, to do something that I probably wouldn't have done otherwise. But in unrighteous anger, we look back and we go, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have gone there. And so we have to take our time, slow down. Is this a biblical reason to be angry or do I just need a V8? Verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. This is really simple. James is saying if you want different outputs, you need different inputs. You can't eat McDonald's every day and turn into an Olympic athlete. Uh, you, you can't put in evil and get righteousness out. And so if you're unhappy with what's coming out of you, then check what's going into you. This, this is all he's saying. The next part, humbly accept the word that's planted in you. Here are a couple ways that we can humbly accept the word that's planted in us. When we're reading the Bible, when we're listening to a sermon, take notes. This is an easy way to begin to accept the word that's being planted in us. Uh, note takers totally believe this. I think there's so much evidence for this. Note takers get to eat in heaven first. Okay, I'm, I'm joking. 
But, but when we take notes, uh, there's actually a study that was done in 2014 by Harvard that says that there is a 72% chance higher of you remembering something that you write down than something that you don't. And so if you want to accept the word that's being planted in you, if you want to remember the word, just write it down. Second thing, revisit the word that you write down. This has been a game changer in my life. I have this little note-taking app on my phone and, and on my computer. And um, right now, as I'm reading through the Bible to start the new year, anytime I see a scripture that really stands out to me, something that I want to internalize, I just add it to this little note in my phone. And, and just for three or four minutes in the morning when I'm having my time with the Lord, I'll just revisit those scriptures and just try to memorize it, just revisit it, just getting it back in front of my soul and my spirit so that I don't forget or reject the word that was planted in me. Last but not least, lean into the word. Lean into the word. What I mean by that is, is when you're here at Way Church or, or when you're listening to a podcast or wherever, lean into the word. Uh, be eager to receive it. Turn your phone on do not disturb. Turn your watch on do not disturb. Do whatever you got to do to eliminate the distractions and lean in to God's word. I used to get so nervous about preaching God's word uh, to the point that I literally, uh, maybe TMI, but, but I, I literally uh, used to throw up. Like I, I, I grew up with, with a lisp and I uh, had to go to speech therapy classes when I was young because I had a, a bad lisp and a stuttering problem, so public speaking did not come natural, naturally to me. And got into ministry, and this, this pastor that I used to serve under one day, I asked him, I was like, how do you not get nervous when you preach? And he said something that's always stuck out to me. He said, no, I still get nervous when I preach, not as much as I used to, uh, but I stopped getting so nervous when I realized the pressure is not up on me when I'm preaching. The pressure is on the people in the audience to receive it. I said, what do you mean? And he said, if I'm preaching the Bible, okay, if, if, if I know that I'm preaching from this book, the Bible says that the word of God will not return void. It's not up to me throwing the seed if I know that the seed is good. It's up to the soil to be ready to receive it. And so he said, if you can realize that you're preaching the Bible and just focus on that, it's up to the people in the audience. It's up to the people listening to the word to receive it. And so I, I now I get up here and I'm just like, I'm just going to do the best that I can. Uh, again, we're going through the book of James. So I know without a shadow of a doubt, this is good seed that's coming out of here. I'm not making this stuff up. And so if, if you come in here with the attitude, I'm going to receive, this is the word of God. I, I'm going to take notes. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to be open-minded that maybe there's something that, that Pastor Noah or whoever's speaking is going to say today that might cut a little bit. It might challenge me a little bit but I'm ready to humbly accept the word that's planted in me. I've been in rooms before where 10 people leaned into God's word affects the entire room. Literally, I remember just last year, I spoke in Minnesota to 4,500 high schoolers in a, in a basketball gymnasium arena. And I'm preaching, and there were these 15 or 20 students, probably 17, 18 years old, down on the front row with their Bibles open, responding to the Word of God by taking notes, responding to the Word of God verbally, responding to the Word of God by just being leaned in and excited to receive the Word. And I promise you, by the end of that 27-and-a-half-minute message, every single person in that room was having an encounter with God because a few people were leaned into God's Word. Come on, we got to get excited about the Word of God again when we're in God's house. We are having an interaction with the active living word of God. Humbly accept the word that is planted in you. Verse 22, 
Do not merely listen to the word. Here comes our Home Depot verse. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. I'm very thankful. Um, I grew up with a godly father. Uh, my dad is my best friend and truly one of the most Christ-like people I've ever met in my life. But at the same time, my dad could put the fear of God in me. Uh, anybody, your dad has a little Liam Neeson in him? My dad's like that. And um, I grew up with chores. Uh, anybody else grew up with chores? You know, a lot of kids these days, they don't. So we're going to pray for them. But um, I grew up with chores. And uh, I just, just imagine this, okay? Liam Neeson kind of dad and grew up with chores. Imagine if I was still living at home and my dad, before he left for work, said, Noah, before I come home from work today, I need, to make, I need you to make sure that all the trash is taken out. Okay, imagine that's what he told me. And I said, okay, dad, I got you. And then my dad comes home eight hours later, walks in the door, and all the trash is still in the trash cans. So naturally, he's gonna come find me and he's going to say, I have a specific set of skills. That was a Liam Neeson joke. You just, if you didn't laugh, it was funny. You just didn't get it. Um, but imagine he comes in and he's like, Noah, why is the trash still in the trash cans and not outside? Imagine if I responded like this. Well, Dad, you see, uh, I got your message. In fact, I memorized your message. Take out the trash before I get home today. I also memorized it in a more relevant translation. <laughs> trash to the curb, homie. <laughs> Isn't that cute? I can even say it in Spanish, Dad. No, I can't say it in Spanish. I should have Googled it. Um, but I memorized it. I even put some essential oils on for a little while, and I thought about the message that you gave me. I tweeted about the message that you gave me. I even found a podcast on the internet that was all about the Nashville sewage system and how you should take the trash out and what they do with the trash. It was amazing. And my dad's standing there in front of me going, but you didn't do anything. This is the state of so much of the modern church. We know the word, we hear the word. There are more places to see the word now than there have ever been in the history of humanity. You can scroll through the word, you can listen to the word, you can watch the word, but the question that God is asking us today is what have you done with the word? It is not an information problem that we have in 2024. It is an obedience problem that we have in 2024. There's a pastor in my life who once said that we are far more educated than we are obedient. What would happen if we simply did the word that we've already heard? What would happen if we loved our spouse the way Jesus loves the church? What would happen if we served the poor and the marginalized in our community? What would happen if we simply just obeyed the Lord and forgave quickly? What would happen if we simply read the word and did what it said. I'm telling you what would happen. Revival would happen in Nashville, Tennessee. People would go, I've got to have what they have. Because when we obey the word, there is a blessing that comes from that obedience. There is a room for the Holy Spirit to just overtake your life. And people will look at your life and go, what is happening? And you can simply say, it is Jesus Christ inside of me. His word ringing true in my life. I am a doer of the word. And I am grateful that the Holy Spirit helps me do it. This is what we're called to. 
We are called to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. This is the dangerous part of church. This is the dangerous part of church. You will never hear me say a sentence with danger in church again, probably, because I love the church. If I wasn't the lead pastor of Way Church, I would serve at Way Church somewhere. Be like, figure out somewhere else for me to serve. Just not the worship team for everyone else's sake. Because I love the local church. I do. I, I love every part of this. I think this is not a, a want. This is a need for a follower of Jesus to be a part of a community like this. I, I truly believe that with all my heart. Love the local church. But this is the dangerous part of the local church is that you can come and hear the word. You can come and sing about God. You can come and hear about God. And you can do all of that and confuse that with actually obeying God. It's like going to a hot yoga class and sitting in the corner for 30 minutes and doing nothing. You walk out sweaty, but you didn't get more flexible. I don't know why I thought of hot yoga, but I was just right there. Just sounded good. It's cold outside. What are you doing? That's the question. One of the things that we've talked about from the beginning here at Way Church is we're not trying to build a church of consumers. We're trying to build a church full of contributors. Our goal is not to build a mega church. Our goal is to build a mighty church, a church of people who are actually participating in what God is doing in Nashville, Tennessee, a church of people who are actually doing what they've heard God say. A consumer listens, a contributor obeys. A consumer comes just to receive, a contributor comes to receive, but also to give. A consumer says, what's in it for me? A contributor says, what can I do for others? This is the kind of church that we want to be, a church full of contributors. So the question is, what are you doing? How are you going from talk to walk in your life? The reality is we could all get better at this. There's no graduating this. There is always going to be an area of our life that we could get better in for, uh, at following Jesus, at being obedient to the word that we've heard. What are you doing today to improve that? What is God telling you to do? I really believe that some of you already know. You already know because God's been speaking to, the, speaking to you for weeks about what you should be doing. For some of you, uh, God's asking you to get baptized because you've never been baptized before. And we got a great opportunity next week, Baptism Sunday, after both services, heated water. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. We already have several people who've signed up to be baptized. If you've never been baptized, we would love for you to sign up today to be baptized. Right, right across the hall here in the track room, you can come, drop your Connect card off get baptized. That, that's a next step that you should absolutely do uh, on your journey of following Jesus. Let us celebrate the decision that you've made to go all in with Jesus. Get baptized. Some of you, God's been speaking to you about serving here at White Church. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to serve. I'm going to do it. Guess what? Next week is a great opportunity for you to do the word that you heard and come to Waytrack and sign up to join a team. Last week, we had 22 people join the Waymakers. Yeah, 22 new people joined our serve team. It was amazing. It's incredible. People, people are going, I hear God speaking to me. I, I, I think a way that I can contribute to what God's doing at Way Church is by serving. And it's amazing. Um, maybe you're here. And, and you know that God is asking you uh, to take that person to coffee. There's someone in your life that God keeps putting on your heart. And you're like, man, why can I not think of them? I, I should really get together with them. I, I should really try to make an effort with them. It's like, this is the week. The snow's going to come back, or the, the sun's coming back from vacation tomorrow. Like, ask them to coffee. Go, go to coffee. Get to know them. Maybe for you, God's asking you to forgive somebody. 
That's what God's asking you to do. You've been holding on to something. You've been holding on to, to bitter thoughts about somebody. And today's the day that you, you just need to call them and say, hey, I'm sorry. I've been holding on to this for, for way too long. I need, to, I need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe for you, what God's asking you to do is to trust God with your finances, to start tithing, to start giving, to start helping us further the mission of Way Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Whatever it is, I really believe each of us, there is something in our life today that we can go from talking about it to walking it out. We are called to be doers. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. All of us today got up and looked at a mirror, right? Uh, there's always someone who's like, not me, and uh, we can tell. <laughs> you need to join a way group. You need accountability. <laughs> Speaking of way groups, I'm just going to stop. This is a tangent. But uh, I found out today that every single way group that we had planned, which we planned a lot of way groups because we, we have high expectations and high faith, every single way group that we had planned filled up immediately. Wow. And... Um, on top of that, we have 72 extra people who aren't in a way group currently because so many people sign up to join a way group. That is incredible. Can we just celebrate that right now? I mean, I know that sounds like a problem because you're like, what are you going to do with the other 72? We're going to form more way groups. Uh, we have a vision here at Way Church that we're going to see 100 way groups meeting across the city of Nashville in three years' time. That we're going to see more people accept Christ through our, our homes than through our gatherings. That's our vision at Way Church, that we will reach the city of Nashville through intentional community. We're not going to give up the gathering that happens on Sunday, but we're going to mobilize people to scatter throughout Nashville and share the gospel. And so uh, we're excited about that. Uh, and so if you didn't look at a mirror this morning, you're the first person who should join a way group because you need accountability. Okay, back, back to the scripture. The mirror points out the stuff in our life that's not right. The word of God points out the stuff in our life spiritually that's not right. It's like a mirror. When, you're not going to look in a mirror and go, man, there's a bunch of broccoli in my teeth. You know, uh, my hair's messed up and, and I, I just, I don't look great. You're not going to look at that mirror and then not do anything and just walk out the door and go to work, right? The same thing is true, James is saying, it should be true with our Bibles. When we read and the word of God convicts us and the word of God challenges us, we shouldn't just read that and go, well, felt good to be convicted for a few minutes, just going to keep doing exactly what I've been doing. I shouldn't just read and go, man, you know, that's tough, but must have been something for 2,000 years ago, probably not for 2024. Paul didn't have the same challenges that I do. No, we should go, man, I need to change something so that I don't walk out with spiritual broccoli in my teeth. I need to make adjustments so that I'm not somebody like James is saying who just walks out the same way that they walked in. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. Okay, last week we talked about the importance of our theology, and um, this is another super important verse for our theology. What is theology? Just a reminder, it's our view of God. Got to get your view of God right, because if you don't get your view of God right, you'll get everything else wrong. Our view of God, we have to understand uh, what James is saying, there is a blessing that is attached to obeying God. What that blessing is not, winning the lottery. What that blessing is not, becoming rich, becoming famous, becoming successful as the world uh, deems it. Okay, that's not the blessing that James is talking about. 
The blessing that James is talking about when we obey God's word is a blessing that happens spiritually. It's a spiritual blessing. It's, it's a blessing that when everyone, else, uh, when everyone else has no hope, we have hope. When everyone else has no peace, we have peace. It's a spiritual blessing that, that comes from obeying the word of God. This is what James is saying. He's saying that if you'll obey the word, if you'll do what it says, you will be blessed in what you do. In everything that you do, there will be a blessing that is attached to you. But notice, before he talks about the blessing, he talks about the law. And he says that the law gives freedom. This really was a struggle for me to wrap my mind around for a long time. Because when I hear law, I think of something that restricts freedom. Right? Most people's definition of freedom is a lack of laws. Right? Can we just agree to that? Like, like as few laws as possible, that leads to freedom. But in fact, that is a lie. I would argue that the less laws there are, eventually there is a point where your, your lack of laws leads to slavery. Where your lack of laws leads to a life that you don't want. Because everybody would be doing their own thing. Imagine if there were no laws around driving on one side of the road. Okay, just imagine that we just eliminated that law. We were like, you know what? Drive wherever you want on the roads. We're, we're just against laws. We just want freedom. You know how bad that would be? People already can't drive in Tennessee, okay? And so people would just be driving everywhere. There'd be traffic jams. There would be accidents. There, there would be all sorts of things. That law that we have that you should drive on the right side of the road, it actually leads to our freedom. It leads to betterment of society. So true freedom then is not a lack of laws. True freedom is a strategic lack or a strategic strategic loss of some freedom in order to experience the most beautiful freedom it's a strategic loss or giving up of some things so that we can have the best things that is what this book is right here what the world and what people who who hate jesus and hate god's word what they will say is this book is limiting they will say this book is full of rules that this book is condemning that this book is trying to hamper your happiness that is the opposite of what this book is doing this book is giving you laws giving you things to follow and if you implement them they it opens up a blessing for you to experience life in the way that we were intended to experience life God never says no for your bad. He only says no for your good. When God says you can't do something in the Bible, it's because he wants you to be able to do something better. This is something that, that, that is hard sometimes because sometimes we open up the Bible and we read things that are totally against maybe something that we're right in the middle of. And if we're being honest, maybe it's something that we're kind of enjoying being in the middle of. Maybe it's something that's become a part of our identity. We read the Bible and God says, don't do this or don't do that. And we've been doing that for a decade. We've been doing that for longer. So much so that we, we like don't even think that anything's wrong with it. And at that moment, you have two options. You can skip over it and become what James says, someone who deceives themselves. Or you can wrestle with it. And you, you can say, man, if God is always working for the good of those who love him, maybe I should try to obey God's word and see if there is not a blessing that is attached to this. Maybe I should believe that God cares about me so much that sometimes he says no so that he can say yes. 
That's a good place to say amen. Okay, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Um, we're going to talk a lot about this in a couple weeks. James is kind of like me. He's all over the place with his thoughts and he has a lot more thoughts on, on, on the tongue in a couple uh, in a couple chapters, and so we're going to focus in on the tongue that day, but uh, I just want to say this. Refuse to gossip. Uh, this is one of the things at Waitrose we're really, really fighting to be a place that, that we never talk uh, poorly of other people. Um, w- one of my favorite pastors, uh, a friend of mine named Jonathan Pakluda, he has this rule where he, sa- he says, if someone comes to me and begins talking about another person um, in, any, in any sort of way that's negative, he said, I immediately stop them, and I say, hey, can we get so-and-so to come and be a part of the conversation that you're talking about? Because I think that they would really care to hear this. And, if, and then if that person says, oh, well, I would rather not share it with them right now, then he says, well, then you shouldn't share it with me. And just shuts it off. And, and I think, like, in the middle of that moment, that can feel really rude, but that's actually the most loving thing for the person that's talking and the person that's not there that you could ever do. And so that's our, that's our culture here at Way Church is, th- is that like we know that people are going to offend us, that people are going to do things. Like we know that we're not a perfect place, but we think that we can become a place that looks a little, little bit more like Jesus if we can learn to control our tongues, if we can assume the best, if we can protect people's honor. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself to another sermon. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Contrary to popular social media theology, religion, Christianity is a religion, okay? It's a religion. Um, There was this video that got super big on the internet uh, when I was in high school called Jesus is Greater Than Religion. Anybody ever seen that video? It's actually a great video. Jefferson Bethke uh, is the guy who made the video. Amazing video. But our generation of Jesus followers took that principle and we took it way too far. Uh, The whole premise of the video was Jesus, a relationship with Jesus is better than religion. But I think what's happened is there have been a lot of followers of Jesus who have said, because Jesus is greater than a religion, I don't have to put effort into my relationship with Jesus. We've just said, I have a relationship with Jesus. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to try to obey the word. I I don't need to pray. I don't need to do any of these things that Jesus did because I have a relationship with Jesus. And to you, if that is your mindset, I would say, you must not be married. Because what marriage has taught me is if I want a good marriage, it takes effort even though we got married already. If you want a good relationship with anybody, it still takes effort. I learned this, uh, we were a couple months into marriage, and I was not putting forth the right amount of effort into our marriage. And so uh, one day, Maddie sat me down in her sweet southern accent, but a little stern that day, and she said, Noah, you never do the laundry. And I was like, you're right, I don't. And she said, I really need you to start doing the laundry. And she got pretty upset with me, right, rightly so. And so the next day when she was out, I got on YouTube because there's this, uh, this girl on YouTube named Marie Kondo. Am I saying that right? Um, she's like a professional organizer on YouTube. And she has a particular way of folding clothes. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn how to fold these clothes, girl. And so I, I did the laundry. She came home. I like took stuff that wasn't even dirty and refolded it. And I left it all on the bed so she could see that I did it. I want to make sure she knew. I didn't put it away. I left it on the bed. And so she came home. And she saw that laundry. Man, she started trying to kiss me. 
I mean, she was all in. I was like, girl, you need something vacuum? You know, like, <laughs> like what else do you need? Because I learned in that moment that if you want your relationship to get better, you have to keep putting effort into it. We can't expect our relationship with Jesus to not get better if we refuse to put effort into it. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. So we don't earn our relationship with Jesus, but we do put effort into our relationship with Jesus. James is saying there is a form of religion. There is a form of following Jesus. There is an effort of following Jesus that is pure. And it's taking care of the widows and the orphans. Just a little context. In James's time, this was an extremely patriarchal society. Uh, as a woman, you, this is how it was. As a woman, you did not have the same uh, status in society as a man. And if your husband died, you literally became like an outcast of society. Widows had no place in society. They, they were not treated the same as just a normal person in society. They were seen as someone who needed to be taken care of. They, they, they were, you know, drag you down. If you were a widow, you would try to get married as quickly as possible again because you needed someone to take care of you because you couldn't do it on your own. Same thing with orphans. If you didn't have family to take care of you, you were just an outcast of society. What James is saying in this scripture is that the outcast of society, the people that are overlooked, the poor, the marginalized, the type of effort of following Jesus that we are called to have is to look for those people in our society and say, how can we help them? Today, Orphans and widows still meet that criteria, but there are a lot of other groups of people in Nashville, Tennessee, that we are called to look after, that we're called to take care of. This is why our third value here at Way Church is to live with a missionary mindset, because we wanna live on mission. We wanna be people that James, and more importantly, Jesus would be proud of. We're not just a gathering that keeps it in here, we're a gathering that goes. In just a couple of weeks, we're gonna do an I Love Nashville Day, where we're gonna serve the city of Nashville as a church family. Our last one, we were able to help feed 12,000 meals through Food for the Soul. I mean, just incredible, incredible stuff. But, but it's not just a, a church-wide thing, taking care of the poor and the marginalized. It's, it's us individually being open to the Holy Spirit and saying, God, who can I serve? Who, who, who are you putting in my path today? Okay, summary statement of today. True religion is not a matter of ceremonies. It is a matter of a controlled tongue, sacrificial service, and a clean heart. I want to go back to the mirror for a second. Um, I just want you to do this for one minute. Uh, I'm going to count to three, and then I'm going to tell you to do something. I just want you to do it as fast as you can. Ready? One, two, three. Look at your face. Some of y'all are like twitching. You're like, you can't look at your own face. You need a mirror. You need a mirror. We need the Word of God to see our face spiritually. If you're not reading this book, it's gonna be really hard to follow Jesus. We said that every single week. If you're not reading this book, it's gonna be really hard to know what Jesus says. You gotta start by reading this book, but when you read this book, you gotta obey it. And what's happened to me following Jesus is as I read this book, what has become clearer and clearer to me over time is how much of a mess I am. When I first started reading this book, I was like, man, you know what? I look pretty good. It's like, man, you know, there's a few wrinkles that are coming on. But it ain't bad. 
But the more I've read this book, the more I've realized I desperately need Jesus Christ. The more I've read this book, the more I've seen in the mirror of my soul that is not good, that is not right. The more I've realized I desperately need Jesus Christ. This is a, a, a test that someone sent me this week. I think it serves as a great test into the word of God. It comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 4. It talks about love. And I'm just gonna go through that verse. I'm gonna ask myself questions. And as I ask myself questions, I just want you to ask yourself. I'm just using the word as a mirror. Is Noah patient? Is Noah kind? Does Noah ever boast or envy others? Is Noah arrogant? Is Noah rude? Is Noah self-seeking? Is Noah irritable? Does Noah ever keep records of wrong? Does Noah find joy in unrighteous things? Does Noah always rejoice in the truth? There are a lot of times that my answer is no. And maybe you resonate with that. You're like, man, the more I read this book, I'm the same way. I read this book and I'm like, I think I might be doing worse than I was at the beginning of following Jesus. Can I encourage you? You're not doing worse, but the Holy Spirit is getting more of you. The Holy Spirit is getting more of your heart. And when you read the Bible, you shouldn't get discouraged that you can't keep all those laws, that you can't live up to that standard. You shouldn't get discouraged. You should get encouraged because where you couldn't, someone did for you. That is why we're here worshiping. It's because Jesus died on a cross because we couldn't answer yes to all those questions. We never can answer yes to all those questions, but when we fall, we have somebody who never fell, named Jesus, who died for us on the cross. And so now, because we've been forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus, we can reread that scripture and we can go, Noah can be patient. Noah can be kind. Noah can choose humility. Noah doesn't have to be arrogant. Noah can, can bounce back from being rude. Noah can be others focused. Noah doesn't have to be irritable. irritable. Noah can be full of peace. Noah can forgive others quickly. Noah can find joy in righteous things and Noah can rejoice